This morning is game night. I have a different... Why game night? I hope you figured that out to the end of the message. I have a different verse from Hebrews chapter 11. We've been reciting some verses together from Hebrews 11. I'm just going to read these verses to you. There's some particular things in these verses that I want to pull out later in the message. You can turn in your Bibles, if you want to, to 1 Kings chapter 17 while I'm reading. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 to 26. By faith Moses, when he was come of years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. There's a couple of things that I want to pull out of these verses that I believe are important as we think about the subject of entertainment and recreation. We live in a world that's very uh, filled with opportunity for recreation and pleasure. And Moses grew up in an environment where he had a lot of opportunity for pleasure. But it says he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's a kingdom identity. The son of Pharaoh's daughter had an identity with the kingdom of Egypt. He chose rather to align himself with the people of God. That's also a kingdom identity. The other comparison that's made here in these verses is pain and pleasure. Short-term pleasure now or difficulty now for greater long-term gain. So that comparison is also there in this passage. And then the other thing, the third thing is a value system with reward. Which one pays the most? What Moses chose or what he could have chosen? See, either one of those is a value system. And this verse is essentially a verses about sacrifice the message of sacrifice we give up something today that is valuable today for what we believe will be more valuable later and have you ever stopped to think how strange sacrifice is why would we give up something valuable today when we don't know what the future holds how do we have any idea that giving up something today will gain something in the future. You see, sacrifice is really an expectation that the the future has potential for some reason. So there's some potential that we hope to gain by giving up this valuable thing today. Sacrifice runs counter to feeling because I feel in the present. So the thing that I have today that's valuable That's something that I have. I feel in the present as well. And so I would not give up something that I feel is valuable today if it didn't have to do with the fact that I believed that there was something more valuable in the future. And to do that requires faith. So sacrifice is built on faith. 
And people put faith in a lot of things. They put faith in false gods. They put faith in science, education, philosophy, reason. People put faith in all those things. But if our focus of faith today is on faith in the true God. So 1 Kings chapter 17. I'm going to read you a story beginning at verse 6. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning. Sorry, starting at verse 7. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little cup and a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, Thank you, David. That was well-timed. Thank you. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks, that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make, a, make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain on the earth. So right here at this moment, as Elijah was standing there and making this request, this woman had a decision to make. She had to decide what she was going to do. She had a handful of meal. And with that handful of meal, she was going to make the last food for her and her son, and she was going to die. The only thing that stood between her and death was that handful of meal. Here was a strange man asking her to sacrifice a third of that last meal for him, to give it to him. This woman had a desire to live. And this food, this handful of meal, was an extension of her life. But it was only a short-term extension because this drought was going to last three years. Of course, she may not have known that. But it was only a short-term extension. But yet, she would be limiting the nutrients that it would give her and her son by a third. If she made a cup, a, a cake for this man. The Word of God promised that if she would sacrifice part of that hand, handful of her life, which that was what all she had for her life, if she would sacrifice this, that she would have what it took to live until life-giving rain came to the earth, until the famine was over. So she had to make a decision between what she had in her hands, what she possessed, and what God promised. Now let's read verses 15 and 16. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her husband ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord 
which he spoke by Elijah. And she made it, so she made the sacrifice. And in making the sacrifice, she received something. She received what the word of the Lord had promised her. Do you this morning have faith that what God promised he is able to perform? We're talking this morning about Christian separation in recreation and entertainment. And I'm not looking this morning to give you a lot of specifics. And you're going to hear a message tonight about technology and a lot of our potential for entertainment comes through our digital technology. But my goal this morning is to talk about and help us to understand the forces at work in our lives that make a difference in how we relate to entertainment and recreation. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So pleasure is pleasure wrong. Let me read you another several other verses from Psalm 16. And I'll just tell you before I read these verses that at least one of these verses we know from the New Testament is a prophecy about the resurrection of Christ. But I believe we can apply it today to our lives because the Christian identifies with the resurrection of Christ. Psalm 16, beginning at verse 7. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I'm going to stop there. So the Lord has given me counsel. That's His direction. And then reins are the things used to guide a horse. So reins are what keep the horse going in the direction that you want him to go. I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. That's talking about security, but it's talking about more than security. It's also talking about an established position. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. My flesh shall rest in hope. Meaning that I can rest in the expectation of something that is to come. That's future. Hope is talking about the future. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt shew me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. God wants us to have pleasure. He wants us to have pleasure forevermore. So pleasure must not be the problem. Pleasure is not inherently wrong. Thou wilt shew me the path of life. God has a plan for human life. God has a plan for our lives. Each one of us. And pleasure, our desire for pleasure, is to be a participant in that plan of God. The problem is not our desire for pleasure. The problem is seeking fulfillment of that pleasure outside of God's path of life. In a conclusive or a kind of an overarching definition of sin, 
is that which is outside of God's plan. When we do that which is outside of what God wants us to do, that's sin. So, how many of you know the song, My God, I Thank Thee? Most of you. There's a really, really powerful, really meaningful verse in that song. I thank Thee more that our joy is touched with pain, that shadows fall and brightest hours that thorns remain, so that earth's bliss may be our guide and not our chance. Now when that song was written as a poem, there was another stanza in there that we don't have in our songbooks. And that stanza, I can't quote it to you, but it says something after this manner. You've given us enough pleasure You've given us pleasure, but all of the pleasure you have given us has wings. It's not lasting. So that we will see diviner things than our pleasure. God wants us to see the pleasure of being in His right hand forevermore. Because we will not experience that here. I've mentioned not not in that full extent is what I meant. I mentioned that about feeling, about desire and about desire for pleasure and how feeling is in the present. But we live in a society that is becoming more and more feeling-based. So they think about how they're going to live on the basis of feeling. And the entertainment that the world offers is both a reflection of that as well as a driver of that feeling-based ideology and thought process. The Christian does not base his life on feelings, but on on faith in the reality of God's plan. He believes that God's plan is the best way to live, even if that means that it's counter to my feelings. Even if that means that it's counter to how I live right now how I feel right now. The entertainment of the world is built on the devil's game. The devil's game, if we play it, is to play on our natural desires. He wants us to take, he wants to offer us alternatives to God's plan. And he uses pleasure as a means to show us or to give us, to offer us bait for us to take that alternative. He promises us pleasure now is the path to fulfillment. But God's answers to meet the longing of our hearts are not based on pleasure now. They're based on pleasure at His right hand in the future. And we find rest not through the fulfillment of pleasure, we find rest through the discipline of our desires as we discipline them to follow God's plan. So how can we tell the difference? What makes the difference? Well, when you're faced with a decision, one of the things you need to ask yourself, is this a shortcut? Does this go around commitment, trust, truth, 
or responsibility? Is it a shortcut to what God has said? Eve took a shortcut to knowledge and ended up separated from God. Another question we need to ask ourselves is, does it give value to my life or to the life of another person? What is what what I'm doing bringing to the world? Is it bringing something that's actually good? Another thing we need to ask is, what does it do to my mind? Does it build up my mind and grow it? Or does it leave it numb to reality? And I have something for you to think about in relation to that, because we're thinking about entertainment. To muse is to think. To be amused is to divert thinking or to not think. When we think about we're going to amuse ourselves, we're saying we're going to not think. So what if we fill our lives with not thinking? We're not going to have a good overall understanding about life. So our lives shouldn't be full of amusement. So we need to face that reality and do something about it. Because when we engage in things that don't really have meaning, we exhaust our capacity. We exhaust our limited capacity. We're limited as human human beings. We can't take in all the information that's out there. We can't take in everything that's out there. We don't have time to do all that either. Is the entertainment you're engaging in meaningful? And then you have to ask yourself, in what way? In what way is it meaningful? And maybe there are things that could be either way based on the reasons why you do them. And so really, what you do is going to come down to the integrity of your heart. Why am I really doing this? Because I know for me, there have been times when I did things and in my head I said I'm doing it for this reason, but in my heart I knew it was for another reason. So we can do things that are okay, but if we do them for the wrong reason, we're not benefiting ourselves. One of the things that was very powerful and the negative in my life when I was young was I listened to a lot of the world's music. And music is one of the most powerful spiritual that we participate in. It has a tremendous impact on the mind. You not only can memorize songs, but if you listen to songs on a CD or in a, in a row, your mind will know what song is coming next without even thinking about it. You'll be right ready to sing the next song in that list of songs. Because it works very powerfully into our minds. And so the music that we take in is working very powerfully on our minds, on our spirits. Because of the nature of both the the rhyming aspect of it, but also the music aspect of it. So what's it doing to your spirit when you listen to your music? Is it feeding your spirit? Do you find yourself wanting to draw closer to God and to draw others to God? Is that what your music, is that how it is feeding your spirit? 
or are you being drawn to lust and rebellion? Because there's also music that does that. I had a close friend that got heavily into rock music when he was young. And uh, he was deep enough in it that he was starting to have bad and fearful experiences. And one day he was driving home from a party. He'd be out and he stopped at a stoplight and a truck pulled up beside him and he looked over at the, per, at the person in the truck beside him and they had a very evil expression on their face. And they went, <laughs> and a chill of fear. And he was so deeply affected by his music and the manner of life that he was living that he felt claws sink into his, into his back. And he jumped out of the vehicle and raced to the house. Music as a powerful spiritual, we need to really be paying attention to the music listening to and making sure that it's feeding our spirits toward God, not away from Him. What is the song of your heart? Is it a song of worship and wonder? Or is it a song of independence and rebellion? Because every heart has a song. What is your song? Here's a quick test for your music does it have more beat than light what's the message what am I drawn to is there an unequal yoke I don't listen to Christian songs sung by country singers because you cannot join Christ and evil Maybe that's not perfect. I'm not telling you. I'm just sharing with you my conviction. We need to be aware of the fact that there's a spirit behind music and there's a spirit behind the people that sing music. And if that spirit is being sung by people with the wrong spirit, there's going to be things that are going to affect us. I also tell you that I was... I listened to country music constantly when I was young. And country music is wrong. It's full of lust. It's full of adultery. It's full of alcoholism. It's just wrong. If you want to be drawn closer to God, it will not be through country music. Here's another one that was big for me. Sports. I was all sucked into sports when I was young. My brother and I would race for the mailbox on Monday morning to see who got to see to see who got the paper first so we could see if the Redskins won or not. And I got to the point in my life where I had to ask myself, what in the world does this do for me? And the answer to that, the obvious answer at the point at that point was absolutely nothing. But yet, I had to read the sports section for an hour and spend five minutes on my Bible reading. How does that make sense for a child of God? And so I discontinued my subscription to the paper because it was a God in my life. I was getting pleasure 
from it that was not God-centered and God-directed. Professional sports are a huge idol in our country. They're a way for people to engage, especially men, to engage their competitive spirit that they should be engaging in the kingdom of God, His glory. Men were made to conquer. And men, we need to be conquering the king for the kingdom. Not conquering Washington over Dallas. I like to play recreational sports. I love playing softball. But what am I building? Am I building my ego? Or am I building relationships? See, that's where I'm talking about. It might be okay to do, but why are you doing it? That might make the difference. Recreational sports have been a great way for me to build relationships. But they can also be very easily imbalanced. Spent time with young men, and we have had a good relationship playing ball, and then we've been able to talk about spiritual things later. And I think that's good. But it wouldn't make any sense for me to just be part of a ball team to go out and play on the league and win just to be playing ball. It's not worth my time. I talked here just a little over a year ago. I gave a talk about technology here to our church. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that this morning because I gave that talk and I would encourage you if you haven't listened to it for a while go back on the website and listen to it again Um, not because everything I say is perfect just because this stuff does affect us and we're also having a message on this tonight but I do want to say a couple things because I really have a concern about video especially in our lives and its effect reading a book activates the left part of your brain But watching a video activates the right side of your brain. The left side is where you think logically. The right side is where you think So just know that when you're watching a video instead of reading something, you are being more connected emotionally than you are logically. And so what happens when you're more connected emotionally, it changes you faster. So not only is it more information than it is when we read, but it also changes us faster. So the things that we watch, as far as motion picture, will change us faster as people than the things we read. When children play church or something like that, they're not copying you. They're imagining life. And as they imagine life, they're trying to put it into reality. So when they're playing, they're trying to put what they think you know, the preacher is or whatever into a reality when they play church. And they need to face the reality that sandcastles crumble, that bike racks hurt, that not every log or every little branch is perfect for a homemade cabin. And maybe that applies just a little bit more to video games than it does to video. But children need to play real life games 
so that they're, they can learn to process properly with their minds how to think and how to deal with real problems. People who spend a lot of time watching video will think about life more feelings-based because of its connection with emotion. This affects our mood, our temperament, our personality, our disposition, our creativity, and our motivation. Our emotions and feelings were meant to be triggered and regulated by real-life experiences, not by a bunch of 30 to 50-second video clips or one-minute video clips. Intellectually, I've been thinking a lot about this, but Einstein said that imagination was a greater sign of intelligence than knowledge. And imagination and creativity in real-life experiences that real-life experiences bring are important to the development of our knowledge, of proper knowledge. And that's another reason why it's important that we develop ourselves through real life. Video has value for education, but must be intentionally limited. We are made in the image of God. And the image of God is creator-giver, not consumer. Think about that. The image of God is creator-giver, not consumer. So if we are made in the image of God, if we want to display the image of God, we're going to be creator-givers, not consumers. And i really like to challenge you this morning to completely take movies out of your life. They are produced to appeal to the lusts of men, pretty much exclusively. I'll just say this about social media. It's a good way to spread yourself really thin and really shallow. If you want to be a shallow person, spend a lot of time on social media and you will accomplish that very quickly and very easily. To develop depth in you as an individual, you need close relationships. And those relationships need to be shoulder-rubbing relationships that you actually have to do something to get along. And we need to develop, intentionally develop, close relationships. Because we're at an age and a time and have opportunity to develop very shallow, very many, very shallow relationships. So what's the principal thing? Is it okay if the church allows it? And I say no, the church can't speak to everything. If the church designates a certain type of thing that's okay for us to do as people, can we do an unlimited amount of it just because it's okay? Can I spend an unlimited amount of money on shopping or hunting or sports if I'm building relationships with it? No, you can't. Our recreation needs to be guided by the teaching of Christ. And that includes that will include carefulness with how we use our finances. So then what are we going to live by? We have to live by principle, people. We have to live by the principles of God's Word. But I want you to mark this down. Now, let me say this first. If you stop your Christian experience at simply meeting what the church requires, you will never get past 
a shallow cultural experience of church. Our greatest problem as Christian people is not a standard problem. It's not a structure problem. It's a worship problem. And out of worship problem comes a desire problem. What is our greatest act of worship? What is the possible greatest act of worship on this earth? God has said. It's those who have free will will freely give themselves completely over to Him. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to Him, which is your reasonable service. Just our reasonable service. The greatest act of worship that we can give is is just our reasonable service for who He is. So the problem we have, if we're not properly operating as Christian people, is a worship problem. Teach me, O Lord, to number my days. How long do I have? How much time do I have to give that offering? Well, you have a limited time, a limited amount of time. How will you use that time? I'm going to give you some practical thoughts about it. Write down some time commitments and review them regularly. How much time should you spend with entertaining things, with your devices, etc.? Write it down. And a year later, go back and look at it and say, am I keeping my commitment? Evaluate and reevaluate what you do on a regular basis. My motives were good when I started this, but I'm being drawn into something. That can very easily happen. You can very easily be drawn to change the way you're doing things without even thinking about it over time. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them in the same excess of right, speaking evil of you. The rest of your time in the flesh, not to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. Go through the New Testament and find the things that we should avoid and conscientiously separate yourself from those things in your recreation and entertainment. Maybe we're ensnared with these things. How do we break free? Daniel 4.27 Daniel was giving advice to Nebuchadnezzar. He says, Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee and break off thy sins by righteousness. Break them off. Break off your sin. Now, I realize that we're human and we may fail. But I'm talking about our commitment. We need to have a commitment to break off our sin. How can we do that? Well, discipline and accountability, maybe. That's important. But there's another key in this verse. Break off thy sin by righteousness. We need to exchange doing wrong for doing right. If we simply say, I'm going to do stop doing wrong, we probably won't accomplish it. 
But if we say, I'm going to stop doing wrong and I'm going to walk with God every day and I'm going to do what God wants me to do and we fill our lives with those things, then that's going to be the path to victory. In the end, Satan's game is going to be points against you, not points in your favor. There was a man that, middle-aged man, probably about my age, had a heart attack playing basketball. And his wife said, Honey, you shouldn't have played so hard. And he said, That's the only way I know how to play. Jesus said, The only way for us to play is to give everything. It's the only way for us to be His disciple. And a lot of people don't know how good Christianity can be because they don't give everything. Am I? Everything I do is controlled by me. Who am I? Am I a child of God who through faith chooses rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season? Is that what people would say about me if they looked at my life? And I have to tell you, brothers and sisters, that this preparing for this message convicted me. I saw areas in my life as I studied this lesson that had been weakened in my convictions about entertainment. And I need to make some changes. And here's my pastor's heart to us as people in this area. As followers of Jesus, we must, all capital letters, draw a line between consumption and development and develop ourselves to serve others for the glory of God. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many.